guess Andy posted on there like the uh, the Emmys had the in memoriam okay. and left out like a shitload of people that have died in 2020 that have been in history of television and and movies and so I, I you know they had the short list I only recognized like maybe a quarter of those names because now is it, some of them are from do, the early days of, did they do 2020 or was that for 2019 uh well it's up to in memoriam typically is from the last Emmys up to oh, this okay. one so, oh. but but still, the list that Andy posted on the Shock Monkeys Lair was within 2020, from what okay. I from what I gathered from the list. So, but yeah, they yeah. They, they they leave some people off. They they usually do, and unfortunately, the more the behind the scenes folks. Yeah, uh, but people that had major impacts. Yeah, uh, like the one today. Yeah, I mean the two that they did throw in there that I saw that I was actually. Glad to see got in there were uh, Rene Aubergeois and uh, DC Fontana. Uh, yeah, but I'd be yeah. real surprised if they didn't make it. I mean, she, DC Fontana is not well known outside of the Trek universe unless you're a Hollywood insider. So yeah, but that's a show by, made by yeah. Hollywood insiders, right? So you mm-hmm. know the fact that people are still learning that she was one of you know the first staff writers. Of a television, a major television show that was a, a woman and had contributed quite a few story ideas, not just to the original series, but next gen. Right. You know, people are just still learning about that. It's like, wow, really? She was a pioneer. And, you know, that was, you know, 50 years, 50 plus years ago. So definitely plus. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome, folks, to Geek Shock number 556. I am Master Torgo. 80s Jeff. Commander K. And we are here to talk week and geek. Oh, my goodness, gentlemen, another week has gone by. Right. Uh. So you had to have done some geeky things during it. What, what, what'd what you do? Let's see. Let me consult my notes here. Um, <laughs> you know what? While you're consulting your notes, <laughs> No, I notes, was going to tell you. Professor. Uh, <laughs> um, Kay and I played a little Gloomhaven. Yes, we did. We, we, Gloomhaven. Uh, we, we, we braved the pandemic. We've, we've been good boys. Yeah. And doing our quarantine muscling. Mm-hmm. So we're like, you know what? We, we've been safe in our choices. Let's get together, play some Gloomhaven. Play two scenarios. Yeah. Had two. a wonderful time. Two. My God. Yeah, about five and a half hours worth of Gloomhaven. Yep. Leveled up. Both of us. Yeah. It was a wonderful time. Andy would have loved it. Yes, he would have had a great time. Yeah, Kit loved it. Yeah, <laughs> Kit, Kit absolutely loves board games. Oh God, we we are we are fucked if we play something like Robo Rally. Yeah, <laughs> something along those lines. Yeah. Was he was he up in your business the whole game? Our, not our business. Oh, okay. up in the characters' business and the monsters' business <laughs> yeah. and the cards' business. Yeah. And was he rubbing his face against all of the, in, the any, figures? Any cold board that he could lie on was his. Ah, yeah. and he'd uh, tail swish. Stuff right oh, into. Oh yes. <laughs> yeah, he was the 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 gaiju of of yeah. Gloomhaven. Yeah, yeah, and you yeah. didn't put him out in the garage, Kay? No, that's not no. where he wants to be. Oh, the cat okay. that can be, be where he wants to be. <laughs> That'd be mean. Yeah, it was fun though. It was uh, definitely. I just um, I'd totally forgotten that you uh, you had missed some experience point tabulating. In earlier games. Oh, the first three games that we played, 
you, you only get experience points in Gloomhaven by playing cards. You don't get it by killing monsters. You don't get it by picking up treasure. You get it one of two ways. You play cards of yours, and they're usually special one-off cards for the most point that give you experience points. Or you get a set amount of experience points if you win the scenario. And usually six okay. for our first level guys. Uh, but I would forget to tell you have a little two dials mm -hmm. that keep track of two numbers. Your life, which you're always changing, and then the experience points, which I'm forgetting to change. Yeah. It seems like you would want to do the experience points more than your life. <laughs> Not necessarily, but equally important. <laughs> equally important. And so finally, this game, I got it down. Yeah. To okay, do not miss. I, I would even so much so that I would remind Kay. Say, oh, did you record your yeah. experience points? Yeah, he reminded me a few times. So it's so I should probably should probably be a higher level than I am. Yeah, but mm. I'm not. Well, I'm one level ahead of you, so there you go. Sure, right that, there. there it is. It's I, I I am due punishment, and that is my punishment uh. <laughs> for forgetting. I I I don't get it, but I can see why Gloomhaven. If it isn't still, it was for the longest time Board Game Geek's number one board game of all time, according to uh, board game polls. If Board Game Geek is the one repository of board game information. Okay. And if you want to know what the hotness is and any, anything you want to know about any game, any errata, where to find old games, everything having to do with board games, BoardGameGeek.com is where it's at. Uh, and Gloomhaven has been their number one game for ages. And I'm still not sure if that's been kicked out yet. It might be by now. But three years on, number one game. And I get it. Every time we play and the game opens itself up more and more to us, I'm like, I am now more invested in playing this game. <laughs> and there is an expansion. I got the expansion because it was on sale at War Room Games a while back. But apparently you can't play that expansion until you beat Gloomhaven. Oh. And Glo <laughs> Gloomhaven has a hundred scenarios, and it's been taking us so far anywhere between an hour and a half to three hours per scenario. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. So we have 200 to 300 hours of gaming in this box going forward. Jeez. And so we now we have the expansion on top of that. They've released a smaller Gloomhaven, uh, which I think is called Gloomhaven something of the lion, lion of something. And it's a much more stripped down. It's still the same game, gameplay. Uh, but it's four new characters, but only four. And all the maps are within the book, so you play on the book itself. You just open up the mm. scenario book, and then you play on the book. Nice. So it's it's... Doesn't take up as much table space. It's a much better game if you're try if you're like, what's this Gloomhaven about? It costs less, and it still gives you the full Gloomhaven experience. Okay. So if you're want to try out Gloomhaven but don't want to drop the 150 bucks it takes to buy the damn thing, uh, check out this newish one because uh, Frosthaven is coming out uh, probably this next year. And that is another whole big box of Gloomhaven. Oh, whole man. new map, whole new characters. Uh, basic gameplay is the same, but tweaks. They've made some small tweaks for this new Lion one, and I'm sure that's incorporated itself in this new Frosthaven. So, so Kay, we have plenty of game ahead of us. Oh, yeah. Should we ever defeat this box? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sure. But it's one of those things that once I've played it, 
it's all I can think about for a while until it kind of tapers off into something else. But then it comes roaring back like cannonball run cars through my brain and just smacks me upside the head over and over. And I know it's happening because I start going on YouTube and watching the how to plays. And, and I'm relearning, reacquainting myself with the mechanisms of how to play Gloomhaven. So you're saying you love it like a cannonball. Dude, I do. <laughs> in, all, in the menudo sense, completely. It hits me like a cannonball. Thank you, menudo. I appreciate you. <laughs> so there will be more Gloomhaven for you and me soon. All right. And I, yeah, I can't, I can't uh, champion it enough. It, it was very healing for the soul that day. Yeah. So it, it's... It calmed a lot of uh, treacherous waters in in, in my body. Ah, so now that you've had a chance to consult your notes, Jeff, what did you do? So I watched a couple of things on Netflix uh, huh. this week. Uh, watched Away, which is the new series about a international NASA-run mission to Mars, starring Hilary Swank. There's a bunch of other faces you'll recognize, but the names of people that you just I can't. And I, sh- I probably should have written them down, but like if you watch it, you'll be like, "Oh, I know that guy. He's in that thing." You know, that kind of casting. But uh, it's it's an interesting take on a, a mission to Mars. A lot of it is things that you would probably run into on any extended space mission. Professor Biggs even alluded to it on uh, Shock Monkey's Lair that there is a lot of unnecessary drama in the the show. Okay, there's. I mean, you know, you have your interpersonal drama with the families going on on earth while they're on their six month journey to, to Mars. And then, I mean, it's probably bound to happen with an extended mission, but interpersonal drama between the crew during the flight. Although based on what a lot of NASA astronauts have said, you know, living on the space stations, like you're all scientists, you have a focus on thing. You don't really get into the whole interpersonal drama. So they said they, a lot of them that have been on the space station for extended periods of time are like, yeah, stuff like that probably wouldn't happen because they're very selective about who they pick to go on extended missions like yeah, the space station. Yeah, it's not station. like so, an astronaut would put on some dry, some diapers and drive across a bunch yeah. of states to kill her boyfriend. Yeah, well, that, that, that one. Yeah. Oh, wait, what? <laughs> well, that happened. <laughs> but... Uh, but yeah, it, otherwise it's uh, it was an interesting uh, it was an interesting series. It's season one of I guess they have a second season on the books. Okay, but you never know with Netflix they this cancel things yeah, left ju- and right. They just canceled Dark Crystal today. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah. You know, right before I left the house, I was like, oh, oh, okay, well, but, but of course they did. At the same time, I I can't be sad about that. I'm thankful we got one. Yeah, but something yeah. we never should have gotten in our lifetime, and we did. Sure, not sad. So yeah, and because I was on a NASA kick, I also watched the uh, the Challenger, the Final Flight documentary that's I, in there. I was expecting you would. I want to hear your thoughts. It's one of the more in-depth documentaries I've seen about the Challenger over the years. In fact, they got interviews with people that I didn't expect them to get interviews with. Predominantly, the 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 two chief um, NASA officials who were mostly responsible for getting that launch to go off when everyone else was like, we need to scrub this mission until weather conditions are better. I hear it's a good treatise on guilt. For a lot of the people involved that did not want to launch, yes, there's a lot of people that are involved that that are still dealing with guilt. And then 
what's interesting is the I, I have to look up their names, but uh, the the two chief NASA officials that okayed the launch both don't regret the launch. Like one of them basically said, he's like thirty plus years has gone by, and I still would have launched because astronauts know the risks and they accept those risks, and every launch has risks. And I'm sitting here going acceptable risks this wasn't an acceptable risk you know you had a whole room full of people telling you something's not right we need to reconsider and you did it anyway and then another one said he feels he does feel responsible but he feels no guilt and i was just like wow this is kind of a backdoor documentary on covid so it was just one of those things where it's like astronaut lives matter yeah (laughs) but uh but yeah i mean very in-depth interviews with the engineers that worked at Morton Thiokol and the, that designed the solid rocket boosters that were the cause of the accident. Um, a lot of the panel members that were on the uh, the Warren Commission that examined the the accident, uh, as well as family members of the deceased astronauts. So it was it was actually if, because it was a four part. It was like four like 52-minute episodes. And they, right. they got pretty in-depth on a lot of that stuff. What's ironic, though, is at the very end, they they do the summation of what the Warren Report said, that there was a major flaw in the management process in NASA, and they made those changes. But those same problems re-upped around the time that they lost Columbia. So in a sense... So nothing was learned. It's yeah. It's, well, it's it's funny because they it's yeah exactly. It's it's like they learned and then they adapted after the Challenger accident, but then kind of forgot that here is a known issue that we're dealing with, which was the th- that that was the whole point of the this documentary was that there was a known issue that was repeatedly brought up, but because of the pressure to make shuttle launches they kept ignoring the problem like well we can always fix it later we can always fix it later and then columbia was essentially the same thing there was a problem with insulation falling off the external tank and striking the orbiter during the ascent stage and they kept saying well we haven't had a we haven't had a catastrophic impact <laughs> yet so let's let's just uh, we'll we'll fix the problem later and of course, we lost Columbia during reentry. So, but yeah, that was uh, those are the two. And then I also watched a lot of YouTube. Heartbreaking and eye-opening by yeah. the sound of it. Oh things. yeah, it really was. Did they talk about uh, the astronauts themselves? Because I've yes. still, I, I've still um, heard the story that when they found the cavern underwater, yeah, they they're pretty sure there was some evidence that a couple of them. There, survive the impact on the surface of um, the water. The predominant speculation is, well, I should say the facts that they know is that two emergency oxygen supplies were activated after the explosion, and those have to be turned on manually. So it's likely after the actual explosion itself that at least one astronaut was probably conscious, but that they would not have survived the impact with the ocean. So the 30 seconds or whatever it was that it took for the the crew cabin which was largely intact they did they did reference that in there but the the crew cabin was largely intact um when it hit the the water going something like 800 miles an hour or something like that so 
terrifying. Yeah. It was, uh, they, what, one of the nice things they did do is they did a really in-depth about who these astronauts were from, in the words of their families and, you know, little background on them and how they got into the service and everything. So, yeah, it kind of hit my high school, uh, alums a little hard because one of our, uh, elementary school teachers at my high school in Kuwait, uh, he was in the final four. Oh wow! So he was very close to being being in uh, McAuliffe's spot. Yeah, I imagine that'll shake you up a little. Yeah, yeah, just uh, one of those things. One of those things, he says. It's just one yeah. of those things. It is what it is. Is that the? Yeah, uh, yeah that's that's how it is now. That's the. Yeah. Tis um, what it is. I also watched the most recent episode of The Boys, and man, this season is really getting good with the depictions of graphic violence using makeup effects like there were there were there were some times watching the walking dead where i was just like oh fuck that just happened impressive and you're like, impressive it, effects yeah. and walk, even if you hate walking dead some of the best zombies and gore yes. effects ever to strike television and the boys is doing that in this season as well i mean they did it a little in the first season but i think they've brought it to a whole new level of realism right. and uh I don't want to say too much more because I know you still haven't. Yeah, I haven't started watched. It and, uh, yeah. I've started it, but I haven't watched last week's episode. So. Yeah, episode five. Also watched a lot of YouTube videos over the weekend. Speaking of which, I'm surprised you didn't introduce yourself as Supreme High Magistrate Torgo. I didn't want to give away the reveal. Oh, I wanted it to be in the the video either either for, this is the Minecraft videos, of course. If yeah. you're not sure out there what I'm talking about. Uh, either in Barry's video or mine, it's it's. Oh, both of them revealed. have been up for almo- a almost a week. Yeah, yeah. so it's uh, and uh-huh. I meant today you didn't introduce yourself. You could have introduced oh, it's yourself true. today. I, I could very. well. I know you last week you alluded that there was a, a position that you got, but after seeing both videos, I was laughing my ass off. Barry and Deb are having a hard enough time interpreting this this news just just kind of like, let it let it settle so i love devs like he wasn't even running i wasn't <laughs> it's a surprise to me as everyone else so you were yep. writing candidate apparently so That's i have great. no idea how it happened oh wow. i will say i voted for me once <laughs> he did i did vote for myself but i swear to you only once just because i think <laughs> wouldn't it be funny if the vote in there is and apparently I'm not the only one who thought that. So, But you are the jerkiest of jerk faces, apparently. Uh, you know what? By by one vote. <laughs> one for Vlarg and two for Torgo. <laughs> I thought and, that was hilarious. And what's, what's hilarious is the one for Vlarg, of course, was my vote. <laughs> and the one and the two for Torgo was both Deb Bam and Barry. Barry. Yeah, so, that makes sense. So no one else voted in that one. So I, so I blame all of you all on the Minecraft server for letting that happen. <laughs> And of course, my my hovel shop is doing very well. I saw that it's uh, it's Torgo's discount den. Basically, it's it's one of those obnoxious liquidators. Everything must go kind of shops, and it's even more uh, aggrieving because like, Barry can't stand the fact that it's just a big dirt pile. Like like one of those going out in t- in small words for and then big words business shop yes that's up God. for 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 ages we had one of those in wichita and i was just like they've been going out of business for a long time i should put like this, years i'm gonna put that sign up on that going shop. out for yeah. business <laughs> yeah going out of business sale yeah it's I, up, up forever when barry and deb stumbled across it in their video and went in there and like just like ah he's underselling us <laughs> <laughs> 
it's, it's the point. You know what? That's it's. Fun. Well, a bear even made the you know the conceit. He's like, well, that is capitalism, and then you know moved on to the, whatever I, the next thing was they did. A comic book shop that uh, was part of a group of comic book shops I worked at it uh, in Chicago. I opened one of the expansion locations as manager, and it was really funny because I actually did that. My manager made me take down. The going into business sale, just opening, grand opening, everything must go. And he made me, he made me take that down. Oh, that's, I love it though. That's great. <laughs> I thought it was going hilarious. Into business, everything must go. That's yeah. Great. And he was just grand opening. And he's just like, no, 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 don't, you know. <laughs> but between the Gloomhaven and I, I've got a new army that I'm painting on my painting desk. And so that's been taking up a lot of time. Uh, a joyful amount of time. I'm really enjoying this one. Uh, and uh, I also finally watched uh, Dark Fate, Terminator Dark Fate. Oh, okay. Oh. I finally got to see it. Uh, uh, good, not great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, but I mean, it's good, not okay. It's good. Yeah. Right. I really, and I I think I agree with you, okay? I think it's the third best yeah. Terminator movie out there. Uh, well, uh, you know, take an antacid because you agree with Vernon too. That's fine. <laughs> Stop, stopped clock. Um, <laughs> I I still was shocked when you told me that he liked it. I was like, really? Yeah. Well, he didn't he didn't love it, right? But he he was like, yeah, it's a well, it's definitely the third best Terminator movie. I, I think you're you're misinterpreting what I'm saying, Kay. I'm I'm used to his vile hatred oh, yeah, yeah. of everything versus <laughs> it was okay. Yeah. You don't really get that about anything yeah. modern with him, right? Right. Plus, I also got the on the scene comment not the comment that follows after a week of trolling asshole youtube right. sites <laughs> yeah. getting the skinny yeah. so like, his, his opinion may have changed right. over the like i I've, I've seen the pedro pascal rumor has now oh, hit Jesus. the asshole circuit Duh. on uh, the star wars uh, youtube haters so <laughs> i i hate like, that that keeps popping up in my feed too because it's this cosmic book news yeah. Like, you know, there's comic book resources, which is usually pretty accurate in their reporting. Right. And then there's this cosmic book news that somehow the algorithm has tagged. Yes. Because I read a lot of CBR articles. Right. But now this keeps creeping in. And because I see the CB abbreviation, I'll tap on the article oh, and then realize That's it. too late that, that, yeah. that it's a trolling article. It's all you it's, now. Right. Right. And Same, now they'll send all the trolling articles. Yeah, Midnight's Edge has now picked up the story, and Midnight's Edge is one of the absolute worst trolling bottom feeder yeah. um, uh, political assholes there. So it's just like, oh, Jesus Christ. I mean, it, like with the, the Mandalorian ones, they latched on to like one little thing and then made it way bigger. And right. then like each time it gets reported, it's increased in size. Whereas, like, it's like it's like one kernel of fact that has been mm-hmm. overblown, right, right. So, and and just, somehow it all leads to Kathleen Kennedy is on her way yeah. out. <laughs> it's been so, that way for five years. Yeah, really. I watched. Uh, uh, I watched. I've been. I've no, caught, I want to talk a little more about Dark Fate. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, I, no, yeah, no, no, no. No, you got on Vern and then went elsewhere. That's, yeah, that's usually yeah. does. <laughs> that usually does. All right, Dark Fate. Yeah, uh, I was. Uh, Tim Miller knows how to direct an action picture. Mm-hmm. Yes. The action pieces in that one, spectacular, overboard, amazing. Yes. Uh, at one point in my life, Terminator 2 was my favorite movie. Mm-hmm. Yes. To, to where I, sure. I I bowed at the the altar of. Yeah. I, when 
I took my first trip to Canada, the only thing I brought back with me was the complete screenplay of Terminator 2 from Walden Books. That's the only thing I brought back from Canada. <laughs> so that's, that's how <laughs> big That's I his memory of yes. Canada. <laughs> oh, I love this trip so much. <laughs> <laughs> Remember reading it back on the bus. Oh, um, man. So... I'm. I mean, it's been out enough times. I think I can talk spoiler around it. So I'm about to spoil something if you oh, haven't seen it. Oh shit! So fast forward a little bit if you don't want to be spoiled because I did do a lot to just stay away from this. So I, I went yeah. into this cold. Wow! Not, not knowing what to expect. I knew that uh, Connor was in it. Yep. And that was it. Jesus, Jeff, I'm getting kind of excited listening to this. This is going to be. Uh, this is going to be interesting. It's be and good. so that <laughs> very first opening scene. Where they just plain, we are resetting this goddamn universe, and this is how, by killing off uh, Furlong's character. Yeah, as a kid, right? Imp- Which was actually with Furlong involved. For right. That, that uh, the facial capture stuff. Yeah, he got paid the for the aging. Yep. Yeah. He, so balls to do yeah. that. I was mm-hmm. impressed, and I liked that they did it. It didn't have a, a lot of emotional impact, except for a lot of, wow, they did that. I. But uh, you know what? I. Th- I think it, I was able to ha- handle it as a fan because it took this much time to do it. Because I think if they had, let's say that this was the next Terminator movie after two, mm. like six years later. Right. I, I think I would have reacted to it like I reacted to Alien 3. Mm. No, at yeah. the beginning of that where they're like, all right, Newt's dead and uh, Hicks is dead. And so, yeah, so move on. I I, I I never forgave Alien Three for that. The right. moment the moment that right. started, I could not enjoy the rest of that movie. Yeah. Right. Nor nor should you. That I mean, just that the whole Alien Three is just yeah, it's it's bad. Sure, it's not it's not a good film. I, but I yeah. think I think I could have enjoyed it more if, right, if that they, first scene because I was such a big Aliens fan. Sure, and so I'm like, oh, this is the next step of that movie. Let's see what happens to Newton. And Hicks and Ripley, and hope oh, I guess just Ripley then. Yeah, yeah. I hate reset sequels when there's no need for a reset, like say Alien Three versus Dark Fate, which is very much a yes. Oh God! <laughs> and you know what? It was really funny too because you solved the whole Furlong thing. Because it's like, okay, if we're bringing back Arnold and we're bringing back and bringing back all these people. It's going to stick out like a sore thumb if we go with someone other than Furlong. It right. was a bold choice, though, yeah. to, to do that with him because I didn't see that coming. It's just like they're there. Blah, the blah, blah. other neat thing was is that in the parameters of the sequel, there were a whole mess of Terminators shotgunned into the past. Yeah. And so the idea that, yeah, they do reset everything, but just like they're in that time all those Terminators are in that time, and so you can reset things, but there's still Terminators walking around looking to kill John. Right. Which was sort of like, oh, it, yeah. yeah. Yeah, when that happened, I was like, this absolutely makes sense. Yeah. And Very well done. And, and I like how that, and I like the aspect of the subtitle of it, that whole dark fate, the fact that just because they destroyed Skynet does not mean that another AI that's even worse than Skynet would have done the same thing. Right. 
or that another savior of the future will rise up. Sure. And, 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 and I get right. the the things as like, it's, it's a, kind of a rehash of so on. I was like, yeah, so on. But it is the story of Terminator that Terminator needs to tell. Yeah. And I frankly thought they did a much better telling of a Terminator story than the last two put together. Well, yeah. And of course, that's just my opinion. But uh, I didn't hate the last one, Genesis. I didn't think that was so bad. I enjoyed no, some parts yeah, of it. Yeah, there, right. there were plenty of things I enjoyed in right. Genesis. Uh, but the one before it, I, I just have always hated. It's funny. I watched, I rewatched Salvation several months ago, and I actually am not terribly hard against it. It, it. It's just, it's very different because it actually does not play with time travel. And I think that's, you know, and I, I liked that choice. But it was just, part of it for me was the uh, the resistance and everything was a little too organized. And yeah. the, the elements of the military fighting it was a little too organized because it was like, the whole idea of John Connor really pulling people from the very dregs of civilization is sort of like, well, in the end, John Connor was all that was left. <laughs> <laughs> so we followed him because there was no one else. And it's just like, eh. so, but you know, there were, there were things about it, but it, overall, I, I just didn't like it as much as, uh, uh, dark fate or Genesis or Genesis. Well, what is nice though is that Genesis about Genesis is that it did set up that notion of alternate realities. So both movies yeah. can exist together without it's the fix all man. Yeah. It's the modern right. fix all, which, which, really which totally helps explain how how one uh, Reese is totally and completely different from another Reese. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, I mean that's what they're doing with the Flashpoint movie coming up. Yeah. Right, that's going to be yeah. crazy. Yeah, I am sad the movie didn't do well. I mean, yes. it's, it's it basically made its money back when it comes right. down to it, uh, but not enough to warrant sequels. And, but, but, and I'm sad because I want to see more of these characters and yeah. how it leads into this. I, I would I wouldn't mind if they did it as a as a novel series, if nothing else. Mm-hmm. I did like the portrayal of Sarah Connor as this kind of grizzled old. Yes. Uh, you know, I'm just you know the only thing keeping me going is revenge essentially it's it's nearly the same movie as the new halloween yeah when it comes down to it yeah with right, jamie right. lee curtis and so right. it's yeah it's you're, you're lot, not wrong a lot of similarities ignoring the movie's past x to right. tell this story that takes place after one of the early movies it's it, it's it's almost i can't say it's obvious but i think they took a lot of pressure off themselves when they saw that halloween did well in, in telling that kind of story, saying, okay, our story works in a similar vein, so hopefully this will be popular as well. Right. But uh, I, I cannot say enough about Tim Miller's direction in this film. He, some of the best action scenes I've seen in ages. Nice. In fact, I watched the, just just reveled in the Blu-ray documentaries afterwards, how, how they put it all together. Oh, nice. Because there is so much... Uh, physical action. Yeah, I was going to say, there's a lot of practical right. in, in, in and then CG enhanced That's exactly. practical, which is really fascinating. Yeah, and the CG enhancements are are great and not overboard. I mean, there's a few in there like, okay, yeah, you're like, that's obviously really? CG happening. Yeah. Uh, but they're able to hide a lot of it with the physical stuff. And yeah. So that alone made it worthwhile. Well, you mentioned, uh, you mentioned Terminator 2, 
And it's really funny. Everybody talks about the poly alloy and stuff like that. But I think one of the greatest applications of CG and two is when you do that motorcycle jump into the wash and they basically just washed out all the crane yeah. lines on the motorcycle that yep. just carried it in there. I think they might have actually put Arnold's face yes. on the stunt rider. They well, or, they weren't know. able to do the facial replacements like they do now, but they kind of blurred it out and did some minor right. tweaking it to make it look more Arnold. It wasn't his, sharp. His yeah. stunt double is pretty it, pretty yeah, close to looking close. like Arnold. So, yeah, they, they were able to tweak it. I mean, yeah. it's nothing like what they do today where they can right. literally take, uh, well, like in True Lies where they, they put Jamie Lee Curtis's face on the face of her stunt double right? while right. she's hanging off the helicopter. Sure. So, you know, it's it's not like that extreme. But, yeah, that was, that was one of the great things about T2 and then, you know, following it up with movies like Jurassic Park where they, they use the CG to enhance the practicals right. and also as a transition from one practical effect to another practical effect. Yeah. You know, using, I mean, morphing was fairly new at that time, but using that and then even like enhancing some of like the, like there's a suit that, um, what's his name wore that was kind of like a dull gray suit to make it look metallic. And then they enhanced it with the, that kind of chrome look. Mm -hmm. I I think they need to do more of that stuff now instead of just going totally CG. Which is kind of funny because one of the uh, one of the videos I watched this weekend was the uh, the Screen Rant pitch meeting on uh, the Hobbit: An Unexpected Journey. Oh, and yeah. it's like, oh, so we're going to continue the uh, you know the the track record of the Lord of the Rings where we do a lot of practical effects. Like, oh no, we're going to go CGI, totally CGI, almost embarrassingly so, or something like that. Is the line, <laughs> and it just I I I was laughing my ass off on that one because it is when you watch the Hobbit, it's like. There's just so much CG, and it's not good CG. <laughs> and that could yeah, have been... Yeah, what, what are you doing? And yeah, I was like, that yeah. could have easily been done practical and probably saved you a lot of money. Oh, well. Yeah. I, I will say, though, the uh, face capture technology they used in that first scene for Dark Fate, Yeah, that stuff's getting better. Oh, my mm-hmm. goodness, yes. Getting lots better. We, yeah. we, we've come a long way. Absolutely. Uh, although it does help that they didn't speak. Right. So that... that that might be the game changer in this whole thing. Uh, but every movie I see it implemented and ILM does it, they do it just a little better each time. Mm-hmm. We're, mm-hmm. we're almost there. Almost yeah. out of the uncanny valley. Well, I yep. haven't watched it. I saw a, a promo, a thumbnail up for uh, somebody deep faked a little bit of uh, Kelvin Universe Trek. Oh, yeah, oh, where they, with, they swapped, with, faded the face swaps. Yeah, with... with with Shatner, Nimoy, and Kelly, and Kelly, so I, I didn't watch it, but I just saw the thumbnail for the swaps, and it was really funny. It's pretty amazing some of the stuff they can do now. I remember there was like some Disney Labs videos that I was watching yeah. where they were they were doing the taking existing footage of you know somebody on television, and then doing a screen cap or a mocap of another actor saying lines and then being able to use that in addition to using archival audio of whoever it is they're trying to change what they say and it was it was scary how good it was like you could literally alter video footage after it's been done to make that person say different things i mean it wasn't perfect but it was 
pretty damn close. So that stuff like that gets kind of scary. Anything else, gentlemen? Um, I watched uh, episodes two and three of Lovecraft Country. How's that to flowing for you? Yeah, that's it's it's great. It's incredible. The, the second episode was wow because they launched into a whole bunch of action shit. It got really actiony. Was just like holy shit. That second episode and parts of the first episode really track well with the first story from the book. Yeah, they're they're doing a good job of of telling. Of translating that to the screen. That's very cool. Yes, I'm enjoying that immensely. Cool. So I just haven't caught up on everything yet. Well, we got a little mail here, gentlemen. Mail. A little quickie here, guys. It says, hellos, fellows. Yeah, Lars ain't great. (laughs) (laughs) I posted it on the lair. I'm not going to bore you guys here, but I think the Napster thing didn't do Lars any favors. Can't speak for all the metalheads, but I soured on Lars after hearing more live music rather than the Napster thing. Anyway, I'm so surprised Commander K didn't tagline his Civil War zombie movie with The South Shall Rise from the Dead. Missed an opportunity, my man. That's it from me. Dudes, thank you for keeping this thing going. I miss Maple Leaf and Andy. Hope they're holding up well. Stay safe and healthy, dudes. Justin, Froyog, if you're nasty. Thank you, Justin. Absolutely. I, I get it. I know a lot of people out there that are that are that got a lot of Lars hate and by the sounds of things, justifiably so. Uh, I have to say that my, all my opinion comes from albums, and I know albums are crafted, so I get it. But I still like Lars. Yeah, I just, I had no idea. And it was, it was weird, the confluence of, of things coming around. Because I just, I read Justin's rant on something, and then YouTube, all of a sudden, I'm I'm like noticing these videos, and it was just like, what in the, where, where'd this all come from? Is this all recent? Or what? Inside the cloud of, knows, man. Yeah, the cloud really. knows. Well, it's kind of like, uh, especially in, in the, I want to say, middle part of the 80s, where digital drum kits were really being introduced. So when you would have a live performance, they couldn't recreate a lot of what they were doing in the studio, even with the digital drum kits, because they were layering all that stuff on there. So, I mean, in fact, uh, one perfect example is... Uh, did Metallica use digital drum kits? I don't think, I don't they, think they did. did. I just meant, as, it, it, as a side note, it's funny how, you know, not being able to play something live versus in the studio. Listen, if Roger Taylor from Duran Duran can do it, so can you. Because uh, one, <laughs> that's one of the videos I was watching was uh, uh, the drum beats for Van Halen's Hot for Teacher, how that can't be reproduced perfectly live because of all the different layering of different right. drum uh, stuff. That You need multiple that, kits on that yes, stage. Yes, you need multiple kits, uh, both digital and uh, analog drum kits and just it was it was fascinating when they broke down exactly this video was breaking down exactly how alex van halen did it and why when he performs it live he plays it completely different than he does on the guts to my album because it's just not possible right you can get close but you can't get it perfect well it's like the uh the death leopard thing yeah when, when he finally solved the arm problem by Using an electronic setup and using yeah, his, the, the his, meaty kick pedals, yep. his off foot to uh, to substitute for the, which is just like Jesus Christ. Yeah, he can now do things in concert that no other drummer can Jesus do. Jesus yeah. Christ. Yeah, I watched I watched one of his drum solo videos from a concert and just he goes off. I mean, he just you know both feet 
Yeah. The one ar- one remaining army has, and he's going to town. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm sitting there going, I'm like, wow, that's impressive. I mean, talk about overcoming your, yeah. you know, your your handicap. Right. I mean, he's, I don't even consider him handicapped anymore because he's just yeah. amazing. It and, and the documentary I was watching when uh, when they were doing this was decades ago and they were mm-hmm. talking about it and they were just like oh man it's not working you know uh, he was like give me give me an hour to figure things out let's uh, take a break and, well and yeah and, and we're all gathered and we're like guys it's not working what are we going to tell them or everything and then we, we went back in and they were like okay i think we got it figured out <laughs> <laughs> well and he almost gave up Right. Yeah. Uh, by 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 his own admission, he's like, I was ready to give up. I didn't want to hold the band back, and you know, suddenly it just clicked for him. It's like, oh wait, I can do this, and I can do this, and it just. I mean, even back then during the his hysteria, right? Yeah. Um, that he didn't have the the pedal setups that he has now, and and just the fact that he was able to overcome that using really simplified digital drum technology back yeah, then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice. Is yep. nice. Is good. The Geek Shock Book Club is reading 48 by James Herbert. Herbert, 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 Herbert. And uh, some, some of you uh, shock monkeys realize that, yes, we are now on Amazon Music. Uh, they changed their their contract, so we they you, they you are no longer held to account if you say disparaging things about Amazon. So, fuck you, Amazon. It's good to be on wow. your channel. Wow, we broke the man. <laughs> we wore him down. Hey, Amazon, go fuck yourself. I, I wonder how many people are going to thank Geek Shock for this. <laughs> you know? Probably no one. No one. It's all right. I it's have right. a very love-hate relationship with Amazon. Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah. We all do. I mean, most people do. Yeah. It's like me with Apple, except there's no love at all. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, so if you do Amazon Music, we're there now as well. So, so good to be there now that they're not being dicks about it. Oh, I, that reminds me. I have a question for our listeners: Is anybody watching any Queeby content? Oh, and is it worth taking advantage? I was given a six-month free trial offer. Is it worth taking advantage of? To, is, I mean, is there anything? I, my, I guess my, what I'm asking, really asking, is: Is there anything worth watching on there? Is there something that, that you that, recommend that, that, that I watch? That there is some cynicism when you're asking: Is the free content yes, worth? Exactly. <laughs> is well, it I don't. Worth I don't it free. Or should I wait for somebody to give me money? No, they have six months of it. Well, I don't <laughs> want it. I don't want it to twenty. Be, I'll do this. I don't want it to become another bit on the show where I forget <laughs> to cancel or whatever, and I I pay for one month. But, well, but every time Matt well, brings up the story, then, it's like he, then he Jeff subscribed to it for six months of pay. <laughs> well, no, Jeff, it was one month. Jeff, don't do that then. Uh-huh. <laughs> but no, no, why why are you sending this to the monkeys? Why don't you take the six month thing oh, and a, and and let us know if there's something worthwhile? Yeah, new uh, guy that's well, on I've, the news podcast. Figure somebody out there has probably watched something and maybe has a recommendation. Oh, okay, okay. So there you go. Looking uh, for recommendations. If what if, you, if, th- if you're the two one of the two people that have watched Queeby, <laughs> uh, please let us know and uh, let Jeff know particularly what he should be watching on there. Yeah. So Jeff, what you should have done is I got a six month free offer. Does anybody have any recommendations? And you should have just let it hang, and then like seven months from now. When Todd and I are like, okay, he probably forgot and paid at least one month. We could be like, hey man, 
how'd Queeby thing work out? And you could be like, nobody recommended anything, so I never did it. Dun, dun, dun. And we'd be like, oh, man. Oh, joke's on us. Uh, wah, wah. Yeah, that seldom happens. <laughs> <laughs> Somehow the joke is always on me. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do some news you don't give a shit about. Especially when you remember that it was Matt that paid for like three months of service. <laughs> I know, but nobody I, brings I, up that I, fact. It always goes back. It always goes so back much. to me somehow. Yeah. And Jeff always goes back to Matt. <laughs> <laughs> How does that happen? Uh, news you don't give a shit about. CBS All Access will rebrand itself into Paramount Plus by the beginning of next year. Yeah, I saw that. In addition, it'll have an international launch with an initial debut in Australia, Latin America, and the Nordics. More programming announcements are soon to follow as everyone tries to remember which streaming service is which. Uh, so, yeah, so uh, quickly enjoy your uh, Star Trek Discovery on Netflix now, these other places it hasn't launched because it's going to go away soon. Yep. So, yes, yeah, so soon we won't be saying CBS All Access. We will be saying... Paramount Plus, and we'll mean the same thing, but we won't know anyway because they're all starting to run together and horrible. Yeah, horrible, they're still trying to figure mess. out yeah. all the the contracts internationally, like that they've signed with all the various providers. Because it's, it, it's crazy. Like you have Picard is like on Prime internationally, uh, Discoveries on Netflix internationally, and then like. In Canada, I think it's Discovery's on like their Sci-Fi channel. It's okay. it, they have their own science Sci-Fi channel up there. Uh, it, it's it's and, just crazy. And in America, Star Trek Discovery airs this week on CBS. Right, it starts this week. Yep, it's just crazy. I mean, the number of different. Oh, and like it's on like Sky in uh, in like the UK, or uh, no, sorry, it's I think Picard is on Sky in the UK, but okay. uh, but. Discovery is on Netflix. It's it's bizarre. It's just it's Who weird. Who knows where to find anything anymore? Yeah, it's it's. I mean, how often have you gone looking for a movie and just gone to Google and says, "Who is streaming?" Yeah, they're Machete getting, kills. You know, it's they are getting good about it. In fact, uh, last time I looked for something to see if it was on any of the streaming services that I have. It actually was it allowed me to link to my like all I had to do was tap on it and I could start watching it on whatever service it was like I think oh, it was wow. something that was on Hulu and it just immediately started playing wow. because of the integration with the the Google search and then it ha also happened with Netflix once too I like was messing around I'm like well I wonder if it does the same thing Hulu does I tap on it went right into Netflix and started playing yeah. so, pretty cool. News you don't give a shit about. And a little scary. <laughs> and a little scary. <laughs> Nintendo's last handheld console, the Nintendo 3DS, has been discontinued after nearly a decade and over 75 million units sold. Nintendo announced it was ending production on the line of consoles after the line originally launched in America in March of 2011. Uh, for the sake of comparison, Nintendo sold 100 million Game Boys, 81 million Game Boy Advances, and 149 million Nintendo DS consoles. Well, um, I mean, to be fair, the the new Nintendo console is both a home and handheld console. So yeah, it's, it's it's somewhere in between. It's it's not it's not truly a handheld console when it comes down to it. Not well, a dedicated yeah. one. But I mean, if you, th you think of it from Nintendo's point of view, it's like, well, we could make two different consoles. Or we could make one console and just sell a lot more of them. 
I, yeah, I will and, say it's a smart move. Yeah. Through and through. We can geek! Woo! No no purgatorio this week. No, huh? no purgatorio. Crazy. Uh, although a lot of news this week. So Uh-oh. Some, some, yeah. some jaw droppers. I'll get to those later. There's a lot of news this week. Uh, first off, though, I want to know that let you know that Hasbro PulseCon is coming soon. That's a two-day virtual event. It delivers on more than uh, 50 reveals for the high-end licensed products based on Dungeons & Dragons, G.I. Joe, Magic the Gathering, Power Rangers, Transformers, Marvel, Star Wars, and Ghostbusters. It starts on the Hasbro Plus YouTube channel if you're interested. It's going to start Friday. September 25th. It'll go through the next day, September 26th. Uh, day one goes from 11 a.m. to 5 p.m. Eastern Standard, and day two goes from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. Eastern Standard. Uh, for every viewer, PulseCon attracts. Hasbro's promise to donate a game or toy to Toys for Tots, so I kind of really dig that aspect of it. Yeah, that's nice. Uh, lights will close out the con's first day before Kyle Gass of Tenacious D arrives on day two to take the digital stage at 1.30. Eastern Standard Time, and Saturday evening, if you're into it, uh, that will close with Fallout Boy. Jeff loves Fallout Boy, so that's why I wanted to make sure that this was in, in the news. Okay, I was I was like, I was wondering at first, but then it made sense. I don't hate them. They're no. just definitely not my No, sure, you're, you're going thing. down swinging. We know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so if you're into the toys, Hasbro's, Hasbro's PulseCon is happening this weekend. Yeah, I've been keeping an eye on the Hasbro Pulse website. I didn't know about this, but I've been keeping an eye on it for the the pre-orders because, well, I mean, I, I pulled the trigger and pre-ordered the uh, the Top Gun uh, you? Transformer, but since I missed out on the first round of the Gigawatt DeLorean Transformer, I've been trying to get the second batch pre-ordered, although it's supposed to have a wider retail release, so I should be able to get it, you know, without problem but they keep saying check back soon so you can reserve your you know your unit and i'm like tired of waiting to reserve it (laughs) remember folks got to work fast and reserve your unit yep at the very end of this week's playstation 5 webcast sony dropped a november 12th north american release for the ps5 along with the full pricing rundown for both its standard and digital edition versions the full-fledged standard PS5 will cost $499.99, putting it right in line with the Microsoft's flagship Xbox Series X console. Uh, the PS5 Digital Edition will arrive with a $399.99 price tag, making it $100 more costly than lower-tier disk-drive-free Xbox Series S, but also without any sacrifice in 4K or processing power over its heftier PS5 sibling. Sacrifice. Sacrifice for me? Sorry? Sacrifice for me? You don't have to sacrifice anybody. Okay. What, what's your question? You you said sacrifice... Without any sacrifice in 4K? Oh, God. Uh, <laughs> I missed it, too. I missed wow! It. Yeah. I really... Yeah. Hey, guys, I really, really drew them out on that one. <laughs> Stop the show goddamn flat. <laughs> Where's the record scratch sound effect? <laughs> uh, while buyers in North America, Japan, Australia, South Korea will get in on the PS5 action beginning November 12th, uh, the, quote, rest of the world, as Sony puts it, will have to hang on to week the next week till the PS5 releases in other markets on November 19th. So uh, so what do you think of that? The X, So you got Xbox Series S. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is the least expensive of the new consoles. Right. Uh, but it will not be 4K. 
It will yeah. not have as much storage and will not have the disk drive. Yeah, uh, the 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 Series S tops out at what fourteen forty p if I'm not mistaken. I think so. So I mean, for a hundred dollars more, you get a full fledged four K box with the PS five. Right. The digital only version, so no disk drive, but at least you get the fully souped up next generation console. Yeah, I I'm not sure how I feel about that because, I, as I alluded to last was it last week or the week before, it's like not everybody is all gung-ho over the graphic superiority of one thing or another. They just want a game that plays and plays smoothly. Um, I know that the the Series S digital version will play on a 4K TV, but it upscales the 1440 to... Right, so it's not true 4K. Yeah, it's not a true 4K like the Series X, but should, quote-unquote, play smoother for a lot of people on you know, a 4K TV if you don't have all of the, you know, if you don't have the highest bandwidth internet connection or, you know, you just want to be able to play, you don't really care about all the other technical specs. So, yeah, that's a tough one. And, yeah, um, it does seem like with the, the Sony version, all they really did was pull the disk drive out right, and made it the same unit because they look similar. Right. I was watching the the... Well, I was watching a recap of their release video. Now, Sony, um, it's not backwards compatible with any... No. That is apparently one of the downsides. Sure. So the $200 difference in the Xbox S and their mm-hmm. X, uh, for that extra 200 you do get that full compatibility because you yeah. have that disk drive to play those old games. So that is another thing that you're sacrificing with the uh, low-cost digital right. version. And I guess they're still doing the emulation too with some of the the original Xbox games. So you'll be able with the Series X, you'll be able to still. I mean, it's it's still kind of a digital download version of, you know, uh, was it? Uh, oh, what was that game we used to play with the the planes? Uh, oh, um, I always want to call it Red Wings, but that's not right. No, that that's a whole different thing. Yeah. <laughs> that's a, that's a don't. That's not don't do not. Uh, Google that. Um, well, I was more thinking of the, the uh, Detroit no, no. hockey team, but if you want to go <laughs> where you went, uh, sure. Uh, the, uh, uh, but yeah. that like, Oh, the game was uh, Custer's Last Stand. That's the one. But, <laughs> but anyway, yeah, like uh, the emulation that they were doing for like 360 and original Xbox games onto the, uh, the Xbox One and Xbox One X they're carrying that over apparently into the series X. So I don't know. I, I'm really torn. Like, um, well, I just got an email yesterday from Microsoft saying that they were going to automatically renew my Xbox live membership on October 20th. And I was sitting there going, Oh great. This is going to be just like what we talked about on there, but they're, they're they, it specifically says fifty nine ninety nine for one year. Hmm. So I'm like, is this going to be the last time that they do that? Like sure. it hasn't officially kicked in. So I might allow that charge to go through and then just carry on that last final year of, you know, until October of next year and see what happens. But I mean, if they really do like go like what we talked about on the, uh, on the show here about the, Oh, it's got a name and it's to- I'm totally blanking out on it, but yeah, where it's a monthly charge and it's, you can't, there is no yearly plan. Who knows? We'll see. And of course, Microsoft being Microsoft, 
if there's enough blowback, you know, they could change course in the next few months. Who sure. knows? Absolutely. Especially if console sales aren't where they want it to be, and they're already predicting they're not going to be as good as it was expected to be prior to COVID. Of course. Well. So, well, that's that's both Sony and Microsoft, yeah, that's, no, which I is part of the reason, I guess, there's that whole, well, actually, there's there's more than reason for one reason why the, the Sony pre-order thing has been a... <laughs> that, that was there were some mistakes. Yeah, <laughs> there were some mistakes in the rollout. Launched it a full day early, so people that were checking back and they're like, "What do you mean it's already sold out?" And then even then, like if you got a pre-reservation reservation, it wasn't a guarantee because it could sell out, and you would all you would have is the reservation. You wouldn't have any right opportunity to purchase the console. Right. And giving that pertinent information to Jeff Keighley to Twitter out instead of putting yeah. it actually out on the the yes. webcast itself. That was weird. And then fucking up by, by you know, contradicting that by releasing it early, which apparently they said was a mistake, but... Yeah. Yeah. So, a a so, mistake that they didn't do anything up. about. Yeah, Sony's <laughs> fucking up again. It's... Uh, it's wow. Yeah. I mean, not not to PS3 levels, but... Uh, no, God. But so far in this rollout, Xbox seems to more have their act together in this. Yeah. I I don't know. We'll see. Right. That's kind of my I mean, I'm not gonna buy day and date no, this no. year. I I'm I'm probably gonna wait at least six months, let it let the market settle because it does seem like every every time I've bought a day one console in the past, six months later it drops by like a hundred bucks. So you know, whether that's going to happen with this sure. particular iteration or not, I don't know. But I've got what I need right now at home, and since I don't have the 4K TV yet to take advantage of it, like I had originally planned to have by now, the, the one, I can wait. The, I can afford to wait. The thing I have not seen yet, I mean, they, they've done a comparison, and it looks like uh, Xbox has more announced uh, exclusive games than Sony, mm-hmm. uh, which is unusual. That's usually yeah. goes the other way around. Uh, but I, I am still yet to see any kind of console killer release with either one of these. Yeah. It seems like all the really big, for lack of a better word, to use a, a, a familiar triple A uh, release are all both being released in the new consoles and the current consoles. Or as Jim Sterling likes to say, triple A. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, I'm not seeing any reason to get these consoles early yeah. because I'm not seeing you need to get this console because you need to get this game, and that's usually what we we see with the consoles. Like, yeah. these are these are the lineup of games that are coming out with the release of the console. Check out this smorgasbord of seven to fourteen games, and and like all of the what were originally supposed to be launch day exclusive titles have been been pushed back to next year anyway. So, and some of them a full year. Sure. Like we're talking holiday 2021 now. So I'm sitting here going, I'm like, what's my incentive to buy this console? Yep. That's, that's, that's yeah. kind of where I'm at at it. So yeah. I, at the earliest, I would say second quarter of next year yeah. is when I would consider one. As I'm, to which one, I am up in the air. I, I was, I was firmly in the Sony camp and now I'm really balanced. And some of that's going to come up to a story I'm going to come to in a little bit. I'm 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 probably going to wind up buying both at some point, but 
still not working right now. Of course. And who knows where I'm going to be in the next six months. That's so, exactly it. None so, of us know. And that's and that's why we can't do this yeah. frivolous spending. And that's what yeah. this is, frivolous spending. Some of us have yeah. mortgages to pay. Yeah, <laughs> I was, I was, I was like, I asked you guys earlier about, you know, what would the PS4 drop be when PS5 comes out? But now that, that, that news, whatever it may be, doesn't really matter because... I, well, I'm I mean, not, just I'm not going. No, if dude, you look at, I, was I just don't have say, this. There's no cash. <laughs> they no. they well, could put out a PS4 for 50 bucks. What I was going I can't to do say it. is, if an opportunity presented itself and you can get a PS4, there are a lot of PS4 titles you're going to be able to get and enjoy. Right. And since the five is not going to be backwards compatible, yeah. as as they're saying, there's still a lot that you will be able to play sure. and will be supported, and you can. And you know, p- part of it was the enjoy. four, because um, there were aspects. Uh, was it? Was it? Was uh, I don't know. <laughs> no, there were aspects to the four, like Blu-ray. But I've already got a Blu-ray player, so I don't yeah, know what right. the other. Well, yeah, the, 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 yeah, it'll the be PS- a four K player. Okay, that's that was the four I, is a four K. Right? No, the five. No, is. the five will. Well, see, the no, PS- I'm not going to yeah. the five. I'm not going to do right. the five. So yeah, so four is. Uh, so I'm fucked. The PS4 gets really weird with the whole four K stuff. The PS4 Pro came out, and it was four K compatible. Yeah, but did not have a four K drive. So you would buy the regular PS4 version of the game, and you could download four K enhancements. Uh. Um, and then the same thing with like, you couldn't play a 4k Blu-ray on it, but you could stream like 4k versions of like Netflix and Hulu maybe, and all that stuff. Maybe that's what like clued me in. Cause there was a little bit of something 4k ish that, and I think another thing is my 360 is getting old. It doesn't yeah. have support anymore. So I need support for my apps. Yes. Like now, although technically I could do Netflix through my phone, right. but I'm doing everything through my phone right now. I'm doing everything but Netflix through my phone. So well, I mean, there's a lot of people that are doing that now. In fact, uh, you know, they they have noticed that a lot of third-party apps like on consoles are being used less and less versus, you know, streaming to a streaming stick in your wow. TV like yeah. either a Google Chromecast or, or Fire like stick? a Fire Stick. Yeah. Yeah. So. And the Chrome, yeah, the Chromecast is well, the Chromecast is one of the things I do through my phone. So yeah, me too. I mean, it's yeah. it's so easy. I just it is push play on the phone. It and is the TV automatically switches over, and yeah, I don't it, have to well do much. You know what's really funny is the TV you have switches over. It's funny because I had that TV and I enjoyed it when I do that. The the TV that I got now mm-hmm. doesn't do that. Oh really? So yeah. well, because I accidentally turned your TV on one time by tapping on the the Chromecast stream. It turned your TV on and moved it to the Chromecast. It, you know, it'll it'll uh, turn it on, but it doesn't always change the channel. Mm. And the Blu-ray would change the channel. The Blu-ray would change the uh, whatever you want to call input. it. The input. Thank you. On the old one, so mm-hmm. I could turn on my Blu-ray or just hit play, and it would move the input. But it, the Blu-ray doesn't do jack on this one either. So it, it might just, just be something in the settings. Yeah. Remind me later; I'll take a look at it. Or it might be life just sucks. Twenty twenty <laughs> is a fucker. Oh boy, is it? Well, at least you don't have to deal with a lot of burn-in anymore. Well, the, that the burn-in <laughs> bars on the left and right yeah, side, well. and then the the channel eight slash <laughs> slash um, fallout. Uh, Fallout logo yeah. combination. <laughs> oh my god, the Andy That's bars. Funny. 
Yeah. That'll uh Well, Andy and the previous owner bars. Yep. I but like don't, to say don't, Andy bars is more fun. Yeah, don't give Andy that, a break. Yeah, it, it no. just well, trips off the tongue. Why are you doing it? Uh, uh, speaking of Fuck 2020, production designer Ron Cobb has died at the age of 83. Mm, yeah. uh, Cobb worked all over the yeah. entertainment industry during his decades-long career. First as a Disney animator working on Sleeping Beauty when he was a teenager. And that led to a career as an underground editorial cartoonist, which led back into the film industry, starting with Dark Star, the sci-fi debut of John Carpenter. Uh, special effects and spaceship design for the film uh, led to work on Alejandro Jodorowsky's Dune attempt. Uh, he created Cantina Creatures on Star Wars, the original, and conceptual design work alongside the legendary H.R. Giger on Alien. Credited mm. not only with designing the Nostromo ship, Cobb also came up with the idea that xenomorph blood is corrosive. Uh, then Cobb's collaboration with Steven Spielberg began, yeah, including design work on Raiders of the Lost Ark and Close Encounters of the Third Kind and design slash story work on Night Skies, which later became E.T. He designed the weapons, armor, and buildings of the Conan the Barbarian, as well as directed some second unit photography, worked on The Last Starfighter and Real Genius, and designed the DeLorean time machine for Back to the Future. Yep. Uh, some of Cobb's other iconic work can be found in Total Recall, The Abyss, The Running Man, Aliens, Rocketeer, Cats and Dogs, Firefly, Southland Tales, District 9, John Carter of Mars, and frankly, lots more. Wow. I knew a little bit about his career, like the Steven Spielberg collabs, and then the, you know, the with the... Uh, the Back to the Future collabs, designing the time machine and so forth, and aliens and so forth. I didn't know until I read that very same article how far back his experience in Hollywood was. I mean, when I saw that, that he was a teenager and started working for Disney as an animator, that, that blew my mind because I'm like, like late teens or was he in <laughs> mid-teens because... He's been in the business for a long time, but his this, design this, work is just amazing. This man's imagination is all over your childhood. Yeah. That's just what it is. Uh, production and designer, they're basically the ones that meet up with directors and producers. The director says the vision, and they basically write down and create the artistic vision of what the director says. Yep. And so when you see all those production design stills of like, this is kind of how the canteen looked like when we first thought of it, and this is where it became eventually, uh, that's what he did. So yeah, some for of, all of these movies. Some of his sketches are just incredible. You know, like I saw some of the early sketches of the DeLorean, what, you know, when they weren't sure what vehicle they were going to use. And then when they picked the DeLorean and then he basically filled in like all the different nooks and crannies that were already existing on the existing vehicle and then adding on and, you know, adding all this electrical wiring and so forth. And it, it's, it's just a fascinating process. It just really is. Yeah. And yeah, such iconic designs. It's... Sad to see him go, but man, what a legacy! Right? Yeah, that's uh, he's, he's he's got nothing to apologize for. <laughs> no, <laughs> uh, he he deserves all of our love and adoration. In fact, uh, I'm going to uh, uh, deify him this afternoon. So, all right. So there there will be a a new kind of cross, and I expect you all to respect it. <laughs> it's going to be just a big corn cob, but that's just me. 
Uh, also, uh, we lost uh, Michael Lonsdale, a actor who played uh, the James Bond villain Dr- Hugo Drax in 1979's Moonraker. He's died at the age of 89. Uh, born in Paris, Lonsdale was raised in Casablanca, Morocco during the Second World War. Lonsdale made his on-screen debut as Sinclair in 1956's It Happened in Aden. And Lonsdale crewed over 200 acting credits to his name, appearing in both French and English productions that involved iconic filmmakers like Orson Welles in 1962's The Trial and Steven Spielberg's 2005's Munich. In 2011, he won the Caesar Award, that's France's answer to the Oscars for Best Supporting Actor, and at the age of 48, he took on the role of space shuttle industrialist and James Bond villain Hugo Drax in Moonraker, the film whose plot was parodied 20 years later in Austin Powers' The Spy Who Shagged Me, was <laughs> yep. released during America's revived interest in outer space. He would reprise the role of Drax once more three decades later in Activision's two, uh, 007 Legends video game. Oh, I forgot about that. So he voiced Drax in that as well. Yeah, Moonraker, not not one of my favorite Bond films, although it did drag me in early on because I'm like, ooh, the space shuttle. Of course. And then it was like, oh, wait, it is not, it's not the space shuttle? <laughs> it's, it's that one in The Spy Who Loved Me where the ridiculousness of yeah. Bond was really turned way up. It got cranked to, to, to 11. <laughs> yeah, to an extreme camp level. Yeah. And then they kind of dialed it back with... Uh, uh, the next one, uh, for your eyes only. They, it was just so bizarre because it's like you have these really serious moments followed by utter camp, and not just slight camp, like you said, to the nines. You well, know I'd say to the eleven, but you know, I blame Jaws. He was in both. Yeah, it's it's all Jaws's fault. Yeah, he just wanted to work. <laughs> <laughs> Richard Keel just wanted uh, wanted work. Don't get me wrong, I love Joss. He's one of my favorites yeah. of all time. And and as goofy as Moonraker is, uh, I, I still absolutely love the Spy Who Loved Me. It's 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 gloriously stupid and wonderful to my nostalgic heart. <laughs> The Ms. Marvel television show has hired four directors to come on board and direct episodes of the show: Adil El Arabi. Uh, and Belial Falah, who did Bad Boys for Life, directed that. Academy Award winner Charmaine Obeyed Chinoy for the documentary shorts of Saving Face and A Girl on the River, The Price of Forgiveness. And Marina Menon, who is a director of The Walking Dead and Titans. Uh, Bishka K. Ali, who did Sex Education, all serve as head writer on the project, which centers on Kamala Khan, a young New Jersey teen who gains the ability to alter her size and shape and takes on the mantle of Ms. Marvel, a title previously held by Carol Danvers, a.k.a. Captain Marvel, in the comics. In 2014, the comic title... in 2014, the young Pakistani-American hero became the first Muslim Marvel superhero to have her own comic title. And while there hasn't been much news about whether the fan-favorite character will be making her way to the larger MCU in any of the upcoming films, more specifically Captain Marvel 2, uh, Captain President... Uh, Captain President. Captain President. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> Captain President a, Marvel. Is that a Lego movie character? <laughs> sure sounds like it. Wow. Uh, Marvel president Kevin Feige has mentioned Feige. That's what I said. All mentioned that all the upcoming Marvel TV series will be better integrated into the larger universe as they're being produced by Marvel Studios. Uh, com- he, he is Captain President, actually. <laughs> he really is. <laughs> he absolutely is. 
Uh, Kamala Khan was created by Marvel editors Sana Amanat and Stephen Wacker, writer G. Willow Wilson, and artist Adrian Alfana and Jamie McKelvey. She has appeared in different animated Marvel series and video games over the years and currently stars as the lead playable character in the new Marvel Avengers game. Uh, Ms. Marvel is set to premiere in 2021. Hmm. I'm excited for it. I yeah. love the character. I, I've, I've loved her ever since they revealed her. Hey, more content. Just Give it to me. I just love that spicy optimism that the character has. Right. It's, it just it touches my soul in ways that a lot of characters don't. Yep. It's, I just love that unfettered optimism. Kind of like the whole Doctor Who optimism, just, just kind of running toward danger. I love it. Next story came out today, blew my fucking mind. If it's the one I think it is, yeah, I was, I was, well, I'll, I'll wait till you read it. It's, it's, it harkens back to the console discussion we just had. Yep. Uh, Microsoft has purchased Zenimax Media for $7.5 billion. For comparison, remember that Disney bought Star Wars for $4 billion. Christ. Uh, Zenimax is the parent company of Bethesda. That's the yep. creator of Fallout and Elder Scrolls. Uh, also, ID Software's Doom, Arcane's Dishonored, many more. And while there were no cut-and-dry promises of console exclusives, there were some inklings toward the future. Quote, We will be adding Bethesda's iconic franchises to Xbox Game Pass for console and PC, uh, Spencer wrote on the blog. And for those on the other side of the deal, quote, we're still working on the same games we were yesterday, made by the same studios we worked for for years, and those games will be published by us, wrote Bethesda Pete Hines. Upcoming PS5 exclusives, Deathloop and Ghostwire Tokyo will remain untouched. However, future games from the studio will release on PC, Xbox, and other platforms, quote, on a case-by-case basis. Yeah. Uh, quote, this is the biggest purchase Microsoft has made in the game sector ever. Uh, they bought Minecraft uh, from Mojang in tw- two, uh, 2014 for $2.5 billion. Uh, the full deal includes Bethesda Softworks, Bethesda Game Studios, id Software, Zenimax Online Studios, Arcane, Machine Games, Tango Gameworks, Alpha Dog, and Roundhouse Studios. And of course, the Xbox Series X, we said the main one will be $500, the uh, digital one will be $300, and the console launches on November 10th. Uh, Christ, uh, yeah. this, when I was set up earlier that I was on the fence, whether to yeah. get a Xbox or PlayStation, this is the one that put me on the fence, people. Yeah. My, there's only two games that I take vacation time from work to play, and that's Fallout and Elder Scrolls. That is it. Yep. And so Microsoft now owns these properties. If they're smart. They'll probably still continue to release games for the PS4 because, or the PS5 rather, because that's kind of the ultimate middle finger to Sony. It's like, oh, you want a game? You got to still pay for it. You know, they you, they got to pay them licensing fees. But at the same time, that allows them to also exercise exclusives for their own console. I have to say, I think. The smartest thing Xbox could do right now uh, with before these consoles come out is to say, yes, Bethesda is now our studio and buy an Xbox because that will be the exclusive home of Fallout and Elder Scrolls. 
it's very I, possible they'll cause, do cause, that. Because I'll tell you right now, that will that will make the decision for me. Yep. If uh, I've been impressed by all the exclusives that, play, that PlayStation Five has thus far that they have announced, and if I compare the two. I like the ones for the PlayStation better thus far. And that's one of the reasons I've leaned toward them in all this time. Plus I'm kind of well now soaked within the PlayStation uh, store culture itself. Right. uh, Where I've been kind of out of the Xbox one for a while. So, well, until the, until the Xbox one X came out, the games seemed like they were hampered a little bit when they were on the Xbox versus the PS4. There is that aspect, and also just the exclusives on the Xbox. Yes, didn't do that much for me. the uh, the uh, The only one that I like on the Xbox of this whole time that's been exclusive was that uh, uh, I can't say it's a Walking Dead game because it's not about the TV show. Uh, but there's that I can't remember what it's called, but it it is a uh, a, a zombie game that came out exclusively for Xbox. Oh, um... that involved. It, it was an action-based game, third person, but involved kind of creating your own uh, stockade against the zombies and different people's personalities can clash. Oh, and and you have to keep up the morale too. of the group. And uh, State of Decay. It's called yeah, State of Decay. And State of Decay 2 came out, and I really wasn't excited by it. I played it for a little while and just kind of let it go. And that's the only exclusive that I bought for the... Xbox. Because and I think I, they're working on a new version of State of they Decay are. too, yeah, if they, I remember correctly. Yeah, they announced that is, it. That's yeah. that's that's coming. Uh, but Halo that was like two weeks ago, so I'm like trying to remember back two weeks. <laughs> but Halo, which is supposed to be the console killer, right. just ne- hasn't sold me the last few rounds. Uh, Halo Two was really the last one I gave a shit about. So yeah, Sony's kind of got me on that, but this news scares me <laughs> a little. What's really fascinating about it, though, is like as big as Sony is, they could not have pulled that purchase off. No. They don't have the cash reserves to make a purchase like that. Only a company like Microsoft or you know maybe some of the others like Facebook or whatever could, could pull off that kind of a purchase. They just don't have the, the cash reserves. I mean, it's ridiculous how much money Microsoft has just sitting in the bank. They're yeah. like, well, who do we buy next? <laughs> right. In fact, I've I've seen some clamoring that fans are like, Sony should buy Capcom now. Or, they, no, no, not Capcom. Konami. They should buy Konami. They and couldn't afford to. I couldn't agree with that more just because Konami as a company has been shit for ages. Right. They've been horrible. Yes, somebody buy Konami so we can get a decent Silent Hill game again. Jesus Christ, they've ruined that franchise. <laughs> um, so, uh, so which console will I buy first? Kind of depends how this... Uh, this edges out. Uh, like, does like it depend Jeff, on the fallout of this purchase? Thank you. Thank you. Oh! <laughs> well, well, here's the thing that's that's also kind of going against it. These games aren't coming out probably until 2022. Yeah, there's a good couple or of at years. Least, and the only one that's really been announced of these two has been uh, the Elder Scrolls one. Yeah. And there's, there's been a teaser trailer at best. Now, I do know that Bethesda is working on that brand new RPG IP, the science fiction one called Starfield or something like that. And it's a Bethesda RPG. I'm in. I'm all bored. Right. Whatever you got to show me, I'm, I'm, I'm all ears. It's going to be a buggy mess when it releases, but it's probably going to be a lot of fun. Uh, I would not be surprised if that one 
is an Xbox exclusive just for being a new IP. That there isn't an established fan base for that, so they can create a new one just for Xbox. Whereas you have an established fan base on Fallout on across all consoles at right. this point. You're probably right. So that, that's where I see them going. But uh, but yeah, Xbox, you got my attention. Um, I'll, I'll eventually be buying you no matter what if that's what happens. Uh oh. Row row. Wow. Uh, Ubisoft's video game series Splinter Cell is getting an animated adaptation for Netflix from John Wick franchise writer Derek Kolstad. Netflix has ordered two seasons and 16 episodes of the series. The seven-game series became a defining franchise for Ubisoft. Tom Hardy has been attached to star as a franchise lead Sam Fisher in a Splinter Cell movie since 2012, but the film hasn't made any headway in a long time. Uh, the series does not yet have a release date, though Kolstad's work can be seen on the Disney Plus series The Falcon and The Winter Soldier. So, uh, Splinter Cell, one of those games I never really could get into all that much. Yeah, I'm... The problem I always have is that the, the, the stealth nature, it just seems like no matter how careful you're being, something will attract a fool and then you're, you know, you're fighting off an army as one person that seems like you're always dramatically under-equipped, you know. So I, I died in that game so often. I, my friend Rick was big into Splinter Cell in the early days, but yeah, I just... I don't mind stealth aspects to games here and there, but I also don't like stealth where, let's say you get detected and you can run and, and hide again, and then they lose interest in you. Because it always seemed to me that with Splinter Cell, once they detected you, there oh, yeah. was no going back. Yeah, like you, you were literally, you know, didn't matter where you ran, where you hide, you know, hide in a an air duct or hide in a scaffolding, they could still find you because you had been detected you know, right. five minutes earlier. Stealth is the name of the game. Yeah. Uh, you might as well, rest if you get detected, you might as well just restart the level. Yeah, I think I've always ex uh, preferred games that were where stealth flavored the game versus yes. was the game. Yeah, because like Horizon Zero Dawn, yeah, there were like elements that. of stealth. Yeah. And if you got detected, you could still run and hide in some bushes or, you know, in a, a sea of weeds or... Right. Tall grass or whatever. And then they would eventually lose interest in you. And then you could continue on in the game. Right. Batman so, Arkham Asylum yeah. series, very yep. similar. Yep. You get up in the rafters and hide in the shadows. And eventually they stop trying to shoot you. The Middle Earth <laughs> Shadow of War series. Mm -hmm. That also has that. So, yeah. Yep. I like it when it flavors it, when it peppers it. Uh, but but when it's the sole yeah. point of the game. Which it, it dishonored is more yeah. like that. Yeah. So, where. Uh, and, I, and that's why I've kind of gone. But it heads against Dishonored for that very reason. I see. Netflix has teamed up with CD Projekt Red and Studio Trigger for Cyberpunk Edge Runners. Expected to debut in 2022, the brand new anime series will take place in the same universe as CD Projekt Red's upcoming open world video game, Cyberpunk 2077. The show will tell, quote, a standalone 10-episode story about a street kid trying to survive in a technology and body modification obsessed city of the future, says the release. Having everything to lose, he chooses to stay alive by becoming an edge runner, a mercenary outlaw also known as a cyberpunk, unquote. 
the <laughs> wow. The team at CD Projekt Red has been working on Edge Runners for the last two years. Its creative team is made up of vets from The Witcher 3, Wild Hunt, and 2077. Set in a city obsessed with body modification, Cyberpunk 2077 goes on sale November 19th for PC, PlayStation 4, and Xbox One, and will become available for the PlayStation 5 and Xbox Series X later this next year. Uh, it's a game I'm really looking forward to. Uh, and if you're not familiar, CD Projekt Red did do the Witcher video game series, okay. which is stellar, especially that last Witcher game. Yeah, I remember you liked playing it. Oh, so good. Um so I, I'm very excited to see this one, even though cyberpunk is not one of my favorite genres. Yeah. I, uh-huh. I do want to see what they do to tackle it. So uh, having this anime series to kind of complement it. Ooh, yeah. I'm, I'm, I, I like expanding that world, that world building. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cyberpunk is one of my favorite genres. So that's something I definitely look forward to. And of course, 2022. Uh, yep. Yep. Got some. Got some time to wait. So far away. Yeah. <laughs> uh, not far. Not close enough. Um, <laughs> Keanu Reeves is working on a comic book from Boom Studios. Boom. That's it. The comic is called Berserker, spelled B-R-Z-R-K-R. So. Uh, no, Love no, you like a truck berserker. <laughs> no vowels in your comic, sir. Did he say making fuck? <laughs> <laughs> it's about an immortal looking to fight through the centuries. Berserker is a cursed demigod who has to fight and kill, currently working for the U.S. government. Uh, he's after freedom and knowledge over the course of his 12-issue limited series. Wait, what? He's after freedom? And like, knowledge. He's going to, like, kill it? Uh, I, I guess so. Fuck you, maybe, freedom. Maybe he's fighting to get freedom. The U.S. government has him locked up in some... Oh. Some right. kind of uh, my bad neck bomb thing. Maybe he's fighting for freedom wherever there's trouble. Or maybe he's just part of the Suicide Squad. Okay. Mm-hmm. Neck bomb. We should make that series. Let's make that series. <laughs> neck bomb. <laughs> we are neck bomb. One, two, three. Okay. <laughs> 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 thank you. Thank you. Good night, everybody. <laughs> Let's do some red light, green light. Ooh. Oh. Green light. They, they, Green they, light. they keep Red stacking light. up. They keep stacking right. up. So we we, we we got to do these. So here we go. We got we got a pile on my desk, and this pile just keeps getting higher. We only got so much money, people. We can't just greenlight everything. Yeah, well, we just started production again, so right. I don't know. I mean, the, some of the things that we greenlit, it's come out and they fail. We well, gotta, gotta that, put some more stuff in the pipeline. That'll happen. There's risk involved. Risk. There is our business. We we greenlit that uh, Eyes of the Dragon Stephen King thing. Yeah. And already they've killed that. Yep. Uh, I, of course, we Jeff. found out it was going to be a million, uh, $100 million a season, yeah. so there is that. I, mm. It's probably Jeff. He probably killed it when we weren't looking. This guy's a spendthrift through and through. I know. Do you want to spend $100 million a season? Apparently, I don't think so. Apparently you do. <laughs> But you know what? Maybe we can find some stuff to work here on a little bit. All of a right, budget, let's right? see. So here we go, gentlemen. What do you think here? Red light, green light. Jeff Lemire and Dustin Gwynn's Descender series from Image Comics is heading to television. 
Descender follows a young humanoid robot named Tim-21 trying to make his way through a universe where androids are outlawed and bounty hunters lurk on every planet. Sounds familiar. He soon, quote, discovers that he's the missing link between a fleet of life-annihilating constructs and modern robotics, reads the official description. The book nabbed Gwyn and an artwork Eisner Award in 2016. Ascenda takes place 10 years later in a world where machines have been replaced by magic. The sequel is centered around Mila, a young girl who sets out, quote, on an epic quest to find robot kind and its fabled boy messiah, Tim 21, before it's too late, unquote. Lemire and Gwyn are producing the television adaptation. So the Descender series, uh, red light, green light. That was a weird, like, transform from technology <laughs> to magic. It's a little jarring. I was sitting there, I was like, because I was listening to it, and I'm like, and as soon as you read that line, I was like, wait, what? <laughs> magic? So it's it's kind of like one of those, uh, uh, what, what, what was that the show, the, the Shannara thing, mm. where it's like oh. you had this this modern, now yeah. in this one, advanced civilization, that obviously falls to pieces, probably because of robots and androids. Well, you know. And then... That all goes away, and society comes back. But now there's magic involved, and elves have grown I, up. I don't care about Rogue that. AI. It's the fucking chosen one. You don't like you don't like the chosen oh, people. Oh God, I hate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's wow. how rumors start. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like the chosen one, one single. I don't like the chosen one. Chosen one, one chosen one. Oh God, I just hate that. He, as soon as you said he's the link between, I'm like, ah, fuck, fuckity, fuck, fuck. I'm fine with it otherwise. Robots being hunted. All right, let's do it. Yeah, the Blade I, Runner was fun. Let's do it again. I don't care about magic either. It, you know, uh, genre mixing is actually a big, you know, legacy of the early 20th century pulps. So I don't care about that. But the fucking chosen one trope, ah, it just gives me agita. Tired of the hero of a thousand faces, huh? I, uh, yeah, because it's not the only one out there. It is not. And it just doesn't have to be. And to me, it almost seems like, duh, I want to write fantasy. Oh, shit. Fantasy, oh, we got to have a chosen one. It's coming down. So, duh. That's what I'll do. Shots I just fired. Hate <laughs> I just hate it. Oh, man. I just, this is hard because so much elements there. I'm like, yeah, yeah, it's green like this, but I hate that. I hate it. There's some neat details and decorations on this yes. very traditional Christmas tree. Ugh. Uh, uh. A very, very weak, flickering green. <laughs> it's kind of like a light lime. It, it, it's like a firebug kept in the jar too long, and it's just... It's, it's, just it's, it's, it's Yeah, it's almost done. That's, that's, a, be- that's, that's a beautiful me. description of that green light. It's a countered green. <laughs> sure. Countered green. Sure, sure. It's a, yeah, you fed that cow... Too much, uh, oops, nothing but berries. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and for a second there, I thought I had long hair. <laughs> uh, I don't know. That's hilarious. Um, I'm kind of with Kay on this one. And it's, there's elements in there that I like, but yeah, I don't know. 
I'm I'm gonna give it a, a cautious green too, I guess. All right, I'm just gonna outright read it. Well, you're gonna read it. Yep, I'm gonna put it on Reddit. See what, what I think. There you no, go. I, I, it's red light for me. It's. Uh, 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 I, I want something a little more new than this. I think. Uh, I mean, I mean, I, I am a little more amicable to the whole mixing of magic and, and sci-fi. I like it and uh, the on the pale horse, the incarnations of immortality series of Piers Anthony, uh, but. I don't know. It's it's the fact that what okay, it starts with Blade Runner becomes Shannara. And I know both of those pretty pretty well. I'm sure they have their own spin on it, but I don't know. Doesn't work so much for me. But it's green lit anyway, very tentative, very very uh cow poop uh, butt like green. <laughs> but like but but green all the same. So we're putting some money on this one. All right, money there. That's all right. It's in that pile. Let's see what's uh-huh. in the next one. Yeah. Red light, green light, gentlemen. Next up, a RoboCop TV show with no RoboCop. What? Original RoboCop screenwriter Ed Newmeyer let slip <laughs> that he's working on a spinoff TV show centered around Dick Jones, the greedy president of Omni Consumer Products, who champions the Ed 209 law enforcement robot. Quote, I'm working at MGM on it. It has all the cool stuff about RoboCop, except no RoboCop, Nehemiah said of the project. The show is going to be used as a vehicle to satirize modern society by telling, quote, stories about business and tech, Silicon Valley, corporations, snakes in suits, cops and all that. It's a wonderful, rich tapestry, Nehemiah added, after hinting that Jones doesn't start as a corrupt villain. Quote, it's going to be about the evolution of Richard Jones to Dick Jones, the story of OCP and how the world moves into the future, how the corporate world behaves, unquote. Jones, who initially played by Ronnie Cox, gets killed by the titular android police officer at the end of the first movie. So what do you think about uh, no, no RoboCop? Red light, green light. Mm. Can you call it? You can't call it RoboCop. Yeah. What you going to call it? Dick yeah. Jones? Dick Jones. You know, you great Disney Dick. star. Oh, <laughs> uh, gosh, that's, I don't know. I really want to red light this. Well, well, it sounds like you think there might be a story to tell since you're not so keen on the red all of a sudden. You're uh, just I mean, like, you're not. Using satire to tell cautionary tales is nothing new. I mean, sure. it's, it's done all the time. And, you know, obviously setting it in the future while you're doing it is a a common you know sci-fi story mode if you will um but yeah i'm just not sure cuz he wasn't even a prime character in that universe i mean he he was the major antagonist sure but he that hired the real antagonist yeah so yeah i i'm i'm sticking with a red light on this yeah All right. i'm not uh how about you? Not Kay? feeling it. How are you feeling about no Robocop? I'm I'm uh, I'm kind of waffling too because you know what? Dystopian is uh is a thing. Robocop and, has a neat world built around. And it does. It does. It's like Robocop, you know what? If they had mm, almost almost is it, like Is it hitting too close to home? Is that yeah, like that's really, right where we're going? I, you know what? There is that <laughs> sooner too. rather than later. How about this, Jeff? What if we retell the sales pitch, but eliminate all RoboCop reference 
change Dick Jones to, you know, John Smith, whatever. So you're just removing all RoboCop message and you're just hearing the gist of corrupt, you know, corporations and the guy is not corrupt originally and he eventually a, gets there. In and the edge of modern sci-fi well, world. I mean, I think modern sci-fi world is very dystopic. The, the, the violence in the cities, things are going to shit. I, I have to say that's probably where my sticking point is, is that with the potential to create an entirely new IP and mm -hmm. maybe make something new and still tell those tales versus revisiting old IP and taking it from there and then crafting the series around it. That's definitely the main reason I'm leaning red light on All this. Because right. it's, it's, I think that I think there's potential for that kind of story. If you sure. eliminate all that, don't, you know, make your elevator pitch. It's like RoboCop, but without RoboCop. But don't talk about how it's literally RoboCop without RoboCop. It, I think there's there's potential for story there. I, I think there's a whole bunch of things you could tell. But, and, so what, and, what but RoboCop is so anymore. cool. RoboCop is is iconic, and RoboCop was what when that world was built to support the concept of RoboCop. So right. it's so like now actually when you think about it, this is it's 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 Ed two oh nine. Basically, that's the you know that's and, the, and also that's going to be, be the fair, ending of the first or second season, right? Exactly, right? You know, as Ooh. and to be fair, as iconic as RoboCop is in you know film history, it's also history, and yeah. we are losing a lot. Your of, history, punk. <laughs> you know, the actual audience for this is going to be much more narrow than if you maybe created a new mm -hmm. from scratch property yeah and but, then that's a good argument. That but then again this is hollywood you don't create new from scratch what's the matter with you well you what'd know, you put in his drink that that new <laughs> robocop movie failed spectacularly yeah. so you know and it wasn't great oh it was terrible it was terrible so, super forgettable just just it was so milk toast yeah. it was just like absolutely blah by the book action pick yeah like even the action scenes were mm. meh like I've seen better action scenes on television shows. Oh, and when that came wow. out, that means something. Yeah, I mean now that's kind of like, oh yeah, that's just the par for the course. But right. <laughs> yeah, I guess anyway. I'll go red. But right. I'm I'm just sort of well, there could be something there. But I'm a solid yeah. red through and through. Punch it in the face, red. And the reason is is because I've never looked at the Robocop movie and said I want to know more about Dick Jones. I've never said that. I've never looked at this guy and said, I wonder what his backstory is. Nah, he, he was kind of an over-the-top uh, Reagan Corporation stand-in from the time, and that's what he was. He was a, a supervillain of sorts. Now, I mean, it's kind of become a archetype for future movies it after was, that. It was an archetype but, then. Well, you're, yeah, you're, you're right. You're right. So, I mean, it really wasn't anything new in the concept it was just new in the presentation also a lot of a lot of uh, dick jones was ronnie cox that's oh, true that line I, I i'll never forget you know the whole military contracts spare parts who cares if it didn't work it's just because <laughs> it ronnie like, cox is an amazing sums it the fuck up he's You're an right. amazing actor and he owns every performance because i mean even yeah. when he's been on like tv shows and guest starring roles he 
makes that that his own character. You know what? I have to admit, that's really kind of the nail in the coffin. Because if I do want to tune in to see about Dick Jones, the show, I want to see Ronnie Cox, because that's Dick Jones. Mm -hmm. So putting another actor in it, I'd be like, ooh, you got shoes to fill, buddy. Yeah. I think I just talked myself into a more solid red. That's a big fat R for everybody. And it's as often as you get somebody that's a reboot in a reboot cast as an iconic role where it does work i'd say it's even more so when it doesn't and yes like you said those are some big shoes to fill and i honestly can't think of anybody even if you cast an unknown is going to be able to capture that yeah it'd be like the remake of the movie robocop it was okay but it's no ronnie cox that kind of that that Mm. viscera that he brought to the role right anyway Frankly, if Rennie Harlan isn't involved, I don't care. Right. All right, so red light across the board. I think that was a good decision. I don't think there's money to be made in this at all. All right, so how about the next one? Red light, green light. HBO Max is developing a dystopian drama series. Green light. In (laughs) In memoriam. From playwright Charlie Miles and Mr. Robot director Niels Arden Opliv. The show is said to take place in a future where humans have lost the ability to store long-term memories and must rely on government-issued memory chips. Things kick into high gear when a 17-year-old girl named Somalia finds her mother dead on the living room floor. Making an illegal decision, Somalia implants her mother's chip into her own brain and sets off down a path of self-discovery, one littered with, quote, digital militants and authoritarian dispute, unquote. Somalia's journey leads to a vast conspiracy involving her mother's past and the dark origins of the memory chip's invention. Quote, In Memoriam explores what happens when something that is so essential to the human condition becomes commoditized, Miles said. It's about power and politics, but we navigate this archaic minefield with a 17-year-old girl as our beacon, unquote. So there we go. In Memoriam, red light, green light. You had me up until the conspiracy thing. The uncovering a dark conspiracy. It's like every freaking show right. has to be right. about uncovering a dark conspiracy these days. Mm. Is that Jeffrey's chosen one? I wonder. It might be. You know? I, I thought I thought I would have lost him at dystopian, but yeah. See, I'm. I, I'm I really like, want eh, a green dyst- light this too because dystopian. it's yeah. HBO and the pedigree behind Dude, it, Mister Robot. Yeah, exactly. You know, they he he knows what he's doing. He's he's got his his finger on. Uh, on that bit of dystopia. Right. right. So, you know, I'm a green. Well, like I said, I was like, I really want to green light this, but now I'm torn with that whole, that Cons- standard trope of uncovering the dark conspiracy that things aren't always what they seem and blah, blah, blah. It's, uh, it's getting tired. I got to be honest. You just it's need really getting tired. guy in the corner smoking a cigarette. Yeah. In the shadow and all, yeah. you know, all you can see is the cigarette and a slight outline of his mouth while he's smoking. Yeah. Uh, it's a, a very hesitant green on this one because mm. I, like I said, the pedigree behind it is really good. I'd like to see what they do with it, but I also don't want it to be like every other dark conspiracy driven show and or miniseries sure. slash movie. Uh, if I'm kind of with you on it, Jeff, as far as when I when I read the conspiracy, my my shoulders drooped a little bit. Oh, yeah. Uh, My head dropped. <laughs> I was just like, ugh. Uh, 
and I was uh, at first I was I kind of excited by the idea of yeah. okay being you know, the memory chips the very so, good idea the whole daughter taking the mom's sure yeah I mean that's it's right a, there sure I I feel a little bit of iZombie zombie with this a little bit yeah in that regard but uh, different enough that I'm like okay kind of neat especially with people who can't afford these chips who don't have long term memories mm. that's an interesting thing to explore as well in this world especially with. HBO Max and it, people behind it. It's like part of the pitch does play into one of my concerns for the future, if you will, because one of the proposed treatments for Alzheimer's is they've been considering like a bio memory chip where, you know, the chip would essentially replace parts of the brain that are deteriorating so that you would be able to store those memories and, uh, I mean, Elon Musk has a company that they're talking about that kind of stuff. And and it's like, at what point does it become, oh, we're going to make this cheap and available to everybody? Or does it become a technology that's hoarded for only the the uber wealthy? So yes. any, anybody that's <laughs> afflicted by Alzheimer's, you know, that's, you know, middle, middle class and below is fucked. Whereas anybody upper middle class and higher can afford these these treatments. I think you wrote the show, Jeff. Yeah, there you go. So, well, if you wrote it, you greenlit it. <laughs> well, yeah, like I said, a very cautionary green. Uh, I, I, I'm, I think I'm with you on that with the cautionary green. But you know what? I think there's something there. I want, I want to see what happens with the whole chip aspect of yeah. this. Mm -hmm. uh, the conspiracy thing could be interesting, could be blah. Yeah. Uh, that's not the thing that's going to bring me in, though. And I don't think it's what's going to bring people in either is the whole conspiracy aspect. That's the story they obviously want to tell. But yeah, there's enough there to make me say, yeah, yeah, let's do this. All right. So green light from everybody on that one in memoriam. So the next one, red light, green light, that we got here on the desk, the Travel Channel is offering up a new paranormal series featuring Jack Osborne. Red light. Red light. What? What? What'd I say? <laughs> Uh, only this time, instead of his parents, he'll be joined by Dale and Spratt, uh, Juan Moss, and Marcus Harvey, the trio of friends at the heart of another Travel Channel original, Ghost Brothers Haunted House Guests. The new show will be called Fright Club, and we'll see the four hosts <laughs> join together to watch paranormal videos before consulting experts on how to handle paranormal experiences. Oh, God. With the foursome providing context for the clips they watch and debunking any myths they encounter, the series will consist of 10 episodes thus far. I stand by my, my <laughs> yep. knee-jerk red light. <laughs> Nothing changed my mind. You know what? I, I was kind of on board with the last one with uh, Jack Osborne and his parents, just because I think watching... Uh, uh, the Osbournes just hem yeah. and haw over videos it, it sounds very amusing. Well, They're amusing yeah. oh, people to watch. The family dynamic and their interaction is is entertaining to say the least. But watching but. Jack Osborne with his ghost buddies watching YouTube and commenting on it to so-called experts is not my fucking cup of tea. A rimson red light. <laughs> Fright Club. Someone else has got to own that copyright. They can't use that. I know. And you know what? If you go the other way with that and you have ghosts fighting each other. I'm in. Yeah. I'm fully I'm, in. I'm totally watching that yes. series. 
Or even if they t- took more of a Monsters, Inc. approach, each one trying to outscare the other ghost mm-hmm. in a family. <laughs> Just, it's, it's a ghost reality show, whoever can be the scariest and get the family out first. Yeah. We just wrote a fucking show, gentlemen. Let's yeah, get we this did. done. We did. <laughs> oh, God, that would be hilarious. Where you have a team that sets up the whole haunted house or the haunted experience, and then you bring in a team of quote-unquote real ghost hunters that they don't know that's fake. And bring them in and see how well you can convince them. That's another new show. I, there you go. I, I'm, I'm all that. That I would. I would green light in a heartbeat. Wow. I think. And see. They, they, I, oh, think, that, I think Jeff just wrote something, didn't he? He did just right there. We, yeah. We just created two shows. I know. Our little little sci-fi supernatural one yeah. about the competing ghosts. And Jeff's downright belongs on the the Learning Channel back when it was the Learning Channel. It'll be on what Fox or is, uh, uh, now? Now it'd be on Discovery. Is the amazing know. Randy still alive? <laughs> yes. All right, because Jeff's show is Randy's show. He has yeah. to be the the headliner. You're you're right. He's let him host. Yeah, and he's just the one. Oh, and you have to do the show from the perspective of both. Yeah. Both teams. Oh, right? through, like, through through. oh, absolutely. Your first episode starts off with, okay, so we got this house, and this is what we're designing. Now, the lore behind the house, blah, 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 so we want to... And then you cut to the ghost hunters, so this next place we're going to, yep. you won't believe the stories behind what happened in this house, man. And then you just back and forth, and yeah. Oh, and it's I, like I, I want this green fucking well, light. I want it's this almost show. like your, uh, your that horror series you were telling us about, uh, where the you know from Britain, uh, where There's they, a bunch of them, where they thought it was a they were like the recreation of kind of, kind of Camp Crystal Lake. Oh, uh, oh yes, uh, uh, Killer Camp. Killer Camp, yeah. Where yeah they they thought they were coming on to a uh, yeah. kind of a Big Brother camp show, and it turned out it was a. Friday the thirteenth. I think there was a hint of that. Maybe thing. that inspired my idea there, but uh, it's it be. Oh, yeah. Jeff, I just think your, of, your idea is gold. I I think it's brilliant. It's it's absolute fucking gold. Because for the skeptics, it's everything that they want to see in and, me. And for the non-skeptic, it's everything they deserve. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, we'll we'll bring I, them in. I don't know. I would have been that blunt, but yes, <laughs> what you said. Yeah. If you want an '80s Jeff PR firm, it. <laughs> What do you think? Do you green light it? Write to us. Comments at UglyCouchShow.com. And until next week, I am Master Torgo. 80s Jeff. Commander K. And we'll talk to you next week in Geek. Damn, brother. Get- that's, that's the best show we've written on this show in a long time. <laughs> yes, it is. Professor Actually, Biggs, get on that cover art. <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> Biggs, talk to a few friends of yours. There's got to be somebody out there that uh, right. could produce that. I mean, that's a, that, that'd be a fun idea. That's better than most things we've brought to Red Light Green Light in the last six months mm. Mm, mm. i'm just wondering like how would you sign on one of these ghost hunter teams and not be and and keep it a secret from them so that they don't right. know that they're being drawn right. into that's a, the whole a thing. staged and, and still being of, able to yes. legally use it without some kind of fraud yep. Yep. right right that's 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 probably a big reason why something like this hasn't yeah. happened yeah there's it's a like wrinkle myth, there myth, myth, uh, myth busters for <laughs> skeptics right there you go right and and, f- and first contestant uri geller Ha, 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 ha.